guy, it's probably a lie. It's happily a slasher. The cabin in the woods has a four-star rating, but the murder scene will be devastating. He's coming on too strong, there might be something wrong. It's happily a slasher, the podcast. Welcome to Happily Ever Slasher, the podcast about horror movies and romantic comedies and how much the two actually have in common. We're your hosts. I'm Brooke. And I'm Amanda. And we're getting into the holiday spirit this week with a classic Christmas movie. Not a Christmas Carol or Rudolph or Home Alone, although that is 100% a horror movie. The story of an eight-year-old kid attempting to murder two middle-aged men at Christmas. It's like Don't Breathe meets Child's Play. (laughs) Kevin McAllister is for sure a Chucky. (laughs) A hundred percent. We are, but we are talking about Black Christmas and another classic tale of sorority sisters fighting for their lives or charter, whatever. (laughs) It is the house bunny. In preparation, we watched the original Black Christmas because you gotta... But we'll mainly be comparing the House Bunny to the 2006 version for historical accuracy. Because we are nothing if not historically accurate. <laughs> <laughs> and you you love some early aughts. Like, I can't get enough early 2000s pop culture, so. That's true. Those were the good old days. Yeah, except for, like, the low-rise pants and skirts and stuff. I'm like, why? Why was that ever a thing? So much flair. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and the theme this week is sisters before misters who break into your house and try to murder you. (laughs) Or, you know, the family you choose is very important as long as they choose you back. (laughs) (laughs) So so have you seen either of these movies before? I, so this is actually the first time I watched either Black Christmas, which is like a shame because I really enjoyed them, but also... You know, Black Christmas is so, like such a classic slasher that I'm surprised I hadn't seen it. And I love Canada, so like. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I had seen The House Bunny in, you know, probably around when it came out. I was, um, you know, it was, what was it, 2008? It was like The Girls Next Door was all the rage. They had a cameo in this. I feel like I was at the age where I thought they were super cool, <laughs> like. What about you? I, similar to you, I I think I saw the original Black Christmas at some point, but I did not remember it, and that was clear. But I hadn't seen the 2006 version, um, and, like, what a a film. And (laughs) (laughs) House Bunny, I used to love that movie. That was, like, Anna Faris at her peak, so I really, really, I'm a huge, like... Um, scary movies fan and all that stuff. So I, I definitely loved House Bunny, and I love Hugh Hefner. I don't, I don't know why I'm admitting that, but like, I just think he's so like, he makes such good cameos in movies. Yeah, Hugh Hefner was such an interesting individual because he had like, he did so much for like, I feel like Playboy, like the art. <laughs> I read the articles, <laughs> but I feel like the articles in Playboy were really like ahead of their time and like really great and like but then again like playboy like the club in the bunnies or like not so like i'm torn i'm torn on the whole thing but in 2008 i was all about it yeah no 100 i actually used to collect in college i collected 1960s and 1970s uh playboys 
And the articles were actually like really interesting and some of them incredibly feminist and it's a really interesting dynamic there going on. Yeah. Well, RIP Hef, either way. RIP. All right, let's do this. So Black Christmas, we're gonna get started here. Um, awesome. So, Black Christmas, abbreviated as Black Xmas, is a 2006 slasher film and directed by Glenn Morgan, who actually worked on the Final Destination series, which are like some of my favorite horror movies. Yeah, I really want to do an episode on Final Destination. I want to pair it with Sliding Doors. Oh my God, that's so good. That's so good. Yeah, the Final Destination films are just just crazy enough that you think it might not happen to you but like situations that 100% could happen in your daily life really spooky shit um but the film starts on christmas break as a caddy a caddy group of sorority girls um hanging out quickly turns into a bloody scene with a serial killer on the loose and the phone is ringing off the hook 15 years ago on christmas eve his family became his victims. What have you done? Now. All roads and airports are officially closed. This one is not going to let up. A group of college friends. That sucks. Everyone should be home for Christmas. Are about to discover. Lauren, we're opening up presents. Why don't you open the present we got you? Their house. I got it. Is his home. All is calm. All is bright. Who is in my house tonight? Don't you have lots of toys to deliver to good little boys and girls? You really shouldn't provoke somebody like that. And on December 25th... You're definitely getting punked. All he wants for Christmas is making in a room. Is a new family he can treat like his very own. In this remake of the 1974 slasher fic, flick, Who Will Live? <laughs> um, surprised to find out this movie only has a 14% on Rotten Tomatoes. No way. Yeah. Uh, with a pretty stacked cast with names like Lacey Chabert and Michelle Trachtenberg. Katie Cassidy is the final girl. Um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Um <laughs> It is, there is so many people in this movie. When I saw, like, the roster, I was like, this could not get more early 2000s. Yes, 100%. It's like snow day from hell. <laughs> and what's crazy, too, or, like, crazy in a cool way, 
is the woman that played the house mother is actually Phil from the 1974 version, which is amazing. She is also the kooky aunt from um, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. (laughs) I I love her. What is her name? Andrea Martin. Andrea Martin, yes. She is great in the 74. She's great in the 2006. Incredible. Um, So Glenn Morgan was inspired by the crimes from the real-life serial killer Edmund Kemper, who murdered 10 people and... Spoiler alert, also ate them, um, including his mother and grandmother. That'll soon make sense as to why that is relevant. (laughs) I feel like you've got to check the expiration date on the the grandmother. (laughs) Maybe he didn't eat his grandma. I'll have to fact check that one. He's like, oh, this human has gone bad. So, Black Christmas, we open to a scene of a sorority girl drinking wine, writing Christmas letters, um, very happy, very jolly. But the great thing about these movies is I feel like it quickly goes from, like, Christmas to, like, death in 2.5 seconds. And from start to finish, it does not stop. Um, (laughs) Right? Yeah, I feel like, so, there's so much death in like absurd death scenes in this movie and I feel like if you we watched the 74 version like pretty close to it the 74 version is kind of like slower it's more of a mood there's like the phone calls are way creepier and like Black Christmas to me is basically like Black Christmas 1974 fan fiction Mm -hmm. like (laughs) someone was just like all right that was cool but like what if there were more or less eyeballs like let's just take all the eyeballs out (laughs) Right, that's so interesting that they kind of call this a remake because they feel like it's more of, like, making it extra, extra messed up. It basically, like, just takes the plot of Black Christmas 74 and answers the question, what if we left absolutely nothing up to the imagination? (laughs) And also more eyeballs. (laughs) Also, let's eat some eyeballs for dinner. (laughs) It's extreme! (laughs) It is 1974. I mean, that might just be, like, in general, 2006 might have just been, like, a level up from 1974, you know? It is. It's, like, it's a Guy Fieri direction. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I feel like he would would be extreme. Yo, 100%. He is extreme in everything he does. So we open to the scene where immediately this girl immediately gets suffocated and stabbed with her own calligraphy pin that she was writing her lovely Christmas letters with. So fancy. (laughs) Like, the fact that she knows how to do calligraphy is pretty cool. Like, I feel like that's more of a 1974 thing than it is a 2006 thing. She peaked. She had to die. That was, like, the max level of, like, human evolution. She learned (laughs) calligraphy. Do not learn how to do calligraphy is all we're saying. (laughs) Um, So immediately after that happens, we are transported to a scene where we are at a mental institution, right? I'm pretty sure Billy's in the mental institution. (laughs) (laughs) From all, like, the the human Christmas cookies. Yes. (laughs) Um, So that's where we get to meet Billy for the first time. There's Santa. There's Santa visits the mental institution. Santa's a perv. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I forgot about that. Santa is such a perv. Do not sit on Santa's lap. 
Okay. Yeah. Why do I have to sit on Santa's lap to tell him what I want? Why can't I stand, a, you know, a significant distance away and tell him, do I not get it if I don't sit on his lap? But like, that's what I don't understand. You can literally write Santa a letter to the North Pole, which is the farthest away he could ever be. Or you sit on his lap. Yeah. Any sense. A pervert thought this up. <laughs> there was just one guy and he like had a red suit and he's like, hmm, if I want some <laughs> some people to sit on my lap, I can just say that's how they get what they want for Christmas. He had too much spiked eggnog. So anyway, we meet Billy and then we quickly meet the sorority sisters. And it doesn't really seem like any of them like each other very much, if I had to say. Like a real family. <laughs> really giving them a holiday spirit. What confused me is they kept Claire's name the same, but then changed all the other characters' names. I thought that was weird, too. Maybe they didn't want, like, as close, like, associations. Like, I kind of thought, you know, so the I love... 1974 Margot Kidder's character Barb. Yes. She was her like outfit in the beginning with like the button down shirt and the choker. And like she is just the coolest. And except when she gives that little kid alcohol, which not great, but <laughs> weird move. Yeah, no. So I, re- I did read somewhere that they decided to name all of the sorority sisters after famous singers. So that's why there's like um, Kelly Presley. And like, I think that there was some inspiration there, but it was strange if it was truly a remake, why they didn't keep the same names. So we meet all the sisters, very catty, playing the part. And then Billy soon kills pervert Santa in the mental institution and escapes. Yeah, I give him bonus points for using the candy cane as a shiv. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Do we think that would work? I think a lot of these deaths wouldn't work. <laughs> like, I feel like we need like to get Mythbusters in on some of these deaths because the science just isn't there. Yeah. But out of all of them, I'm most willing to overlook the candy cane because it's Christmas and it was the coolest. I will say that's interesting coming from this director then because, you know, for Final Destination, most of those deaths are supposed to be plausible. Are you uh, joking? I mean, like, <laughs> whether, okay, okay, fair enough. <laughs> but, like, an airplane exploding, you would have no control over that, and it could happen, right? But, like, maybe getting in a, locked in a tanning booth, I don't know. I'm still afraid of that. I don't even go to tanning booths. and I'm, I, mean, I have anxiety anyway, so I think, like, a Final Destination movie, like, I will be like, well, what if that falls, hits that other thing, that thing, you know, leans into that water and all of a sudden we're electrocuted and i feel like so i feel like for people with anxiety final destination is very plausible death scenes for people that don't have very bad anxiety maybe they're they're a little far-fetched maybe (laughs) (laughs) maybe i mean i guess that means the world isn't just like a giant game of mousetrap is what you're trying to say i mean to me it is but to um people that don't live their lives in a state of fear all the time maybe not maybe not we'll ask those people tell us what you think people who don't have anxiety (laughs) um so billy is out of the mental institution he is free he's going back home and at this point we get to hear a little bit about billy's history so they they say it that he has a yellow skin disorder which is interesting because it's jaundice the effect is just like 
a yellow highlighter, like, <laughs> effect. Like, I, I'm not a doctor, so I don't know what jaundice actually looks like. So maybe that's accurate, but it definitely looked like the Photoshop. Billy was doomed from the get-go because he was a nuclear baby. <laughs> <laughs> so because of, we don't know that if it's because of his yellow skin, but his mother never loved him. His mom, in fact, hated him. His mom despised him. Um, so we see this really sad story of how, you know, he was never wanted, never loved. Well, his dad loved, like his dad loved him and his dad bought him a present and then his dad got murdered. Yeah. So it turns out Billy's mom was having an affair. And since, you know, Billy couldn't have anyone in the world to protect him, she had to brutally murder him in front of Billy. Oh, that was so horrible. Also, if they give you, like, these, like, random details, like, I want to be, like, was there pages of the script that didn't make it in? Because when we, like, first go into this, like, scene, we get, like, a clear close-up of, like, the dad's lighter, which, like, references, like, a very specific battle in the Vietnam War. And, like, and then we later see his Marine photo, and the Marines were prominent in that battle. So, like, I feel like there's, like, a very specific backstory that they maybe... I don't know if that was just like a weird detail. Maybe it means something to the people who made the movie, but like very specific. Alpha Kappa. Hello. Where's Agnes? Billy! What your mother and I must know is where's Agnes? Going, don't you have lots of toys to deliver to good little boys and girls? I'm gonna kill you. You know, as we mentioned, this this movie is kind of iconic in the fact that there are so many phone calls that happen. And I think like the fact that this happened in 1974, like like those phone calls and those creepy like um screaming and hearing people get murdered on the phone I feel like was kind of maybe this movie did that yeah so like in the in the debate on like what's the first slasher film this one is one that is um always kind of like brought up as like being the first of what we think of that inspired like Halloween Friday the 13th that then went on to inspire Scream you know growing up with these kind of films that's like the one thing that I'm afraid of like even answering my cell phone which I never do um but if I did I'd be afraid that there'd be somebody dying on the other line yeah so this was one of the first movies that like played on the trope or the 1974 version I I should say of like the calls coming from inside the house kind of like motif which is terrifying, and now it's like we can't even do that anymore because cell phones are all coming from, like, the person, so it's like you don't know if they're inside your house. They could be. Yeah, but I thought this movie did a good job of that because they did have cell phones, so they, like, instead of having, like, a masked phone number, Billy keeps calling from the other sorority girls' phone numbers, which I think is an interesting addition. So anyway, we get the first phone call um, in the house. And I'm actually blanking on what happened on that phone call. Yeah, 
Honestly, I don't remember the specific phone calls from 2006 because all I can think of is the phone calls from 1974, which were like absolutely like atrocious in the language. Like I don't consider myself easily offended, but like <laughs> I, I could we couldn't even repeat no. the phone calls if we wanted to. No, that it's really surprising. So maybe we'll cut this portion. But yeah, I can't I can't remember what this first phone call was about either. But I just think it's like. Um, interesting that like that's kind of how it kicks off for all of them they don't even know that one of their sorority sisters is dead in the attic yet um and they're getting this phone call from a killer does he say billy like i'm not even sure if like they mentioned billy in the phone calls because they know billy so like in 1974 the only reference they had for billy was the person on the phone in 2006 billy is a figure that they know existed lived in their house so if they said billy on the phone they would have known right away like who they were referring to i don't think so because uh i don't think i don't think it is they don't they don't say his name because like the first time that bill right uh, yeah gets any indication that billy might be back is like a few scenes down from that first phone call when they find the um, gift under the tree from Billy. Yes. Yes. So anyway, phone call, not that important. It's all good. Um, but this like sorority sister who's kind of odd gives Heather, one of the other sorority sisters, the unicorn, which is a murder weapon from the 1974 film, which is interesting. So it's this like glass unicorn corn. Um, that Barb was murdered with in her sleep from the original movie. So they keep kind of noting back to that film. Um, yeah, and that sorority sister's name is Eve Agnew. So you kind of like think, is that Agnes? Because she's got these thick glasses. Could she be missing an eye? But we haven't talked about what happened to, we haven't talked about Agnes yet. No. No, exactly. But yeah, you do at that moment kind of think, like, is she the killer? which I think is interesting because she's so she's pointed out as being like the weird sister. You kind of saw the first murder happen and it's someone with scraggly blonde hair. And now this girl comes down the stairs and is being super weird, hands her a murder weapon and also has scraggly blonde hair. So we're like murderer. So then we get another flashback and we see the mom kind of creeping into the attic where they keep Billy and we see, you know, her, I, I think you just, it's insinuated that she is raping him and it is horrifying. Um, and she is now pregnant with a daughter, Agnes. So we flash back to 2006 and that's when we're getting a phone call. Um, but it's coming from Megan's phone, one of the sorority sisters who we haven't seen in a while. All the sorority sisters are running around the house looking for, um, I think various sorority sisters at this point, because a few people are missing and they run, they start running upstairs and Kyle pops out of one of the roommates rooms, which is like super sketchy. So anyway, Kyle is a cheating. <laughs> is what we learned at this point. So yes, Kyle and Kelly are an item and Kyle pops out of Megan's bedroom and they're all like, what the hell were you doing in there? And he's like, oh, the, all the other windows were locked, so I came in through this bedroom. But, uh, <laughs> whatever, Kyle. 
Meanwhile, we had already seen Megan had her computer screen open previously, and we see that there was like some website with some porn. Um, it looks like Kyle and her had a sex tape, whether she knew about it or not, I don't know, but there was a video. Um, I'm not sure if he knew she had it or if he knew she found it. Like, I don't, and that's why he's climbing through her window to get it back. I don't know. I feel like maybe he had just been in there all along since he filmed that, but it's unclear. (laughs) Oh, okay. It is very unclear, but something sketchy is going down. Yeah. All, Kyle Kyle has lines like, I did not put this on the net, or someone stole my tapes. <laughs> like, oh, that's not normal, Kyle. If you have tape, if you have multiple tapes of, you know, no. If you're like, if you call, okay. If anyone calls their home porn collection their tapes, get the fuck out. Right. <laughs> my tapes. Oh, my God. Yeah, he's the quintessential, like, dumb boy. Um, Kyle is the one who begins to narrate the um, story of how Billy kills his entire family. And then we flash back to Billy. (laughs) We're going back in time again. (laughs) Billy, um, it's Christmas, and Billy decides that he is going to murder his entire family, except for his sister. In quotes. But he does um, eat fry ball, so I feel like that's not great. And like he really enjoys it. <laughs> I hate eyeballs, I should say. So this movie was very difficult for me. Like when we had to I remember in like middle school we had to dissect like an animal's eyeball and I had to leave. Like I couldn't even be in the room. Squishing underneath Uma Thurman's toe in Kill Bill. It is just disgusting. I I cannot. Eyeballs are disgusting. I don't like how big they are. <laughs> uh, so after this happens, obviously Billy is declared mentally insane for not only murdering his mother and his stepfather, cooking them and making Christmas cookies out of their bodies. Then we flash forward again. Hold on. It's going to be a bumpy ride. <laughs> I know. This is, <laughs> I did not realize how hard this was going to be to explain. Yeah, um, but now we get a, we get a scene where Lauren, who's like the drunk sorority sister, and you know I think there was also and Barb was the drunk sorority sister in the '74 version, but basically she's taking a shower and we see an eye through the floorboard, like through a hole, just like peeping up at her, and that's really like a cool callback to the original, which is like there's like a really cool eye shot in the '74 version where it's like through up through a little peephole. Um, so I really liked that, but like, I feel like they took that one. So in 1974 version, the eye shot, like when it's like the little like shot where you see like the killer's eye is like one of the few times you even see the killer in that movie. And then in like the 2006 version, they just take that and like, just fucking run with it. And it's like every scene is like an eyeball. There's like eyeballs everywhere. Yeah. And like, it's clear that Billy is like kind of like a perv. Yeah, or is it Agnes here? We don't know which is which. That's true. It could be either one of them. And I think it's also clear that, like, at this point, it was clear to me that this is, like, their, they know how to get around this house. Like, they are crawling through the floorboards. They are climbing through the walls and in a really creepy way. So at a similar point, the power goes out. 
and classic horror movie Fright Night. Like you're, you have no power. Dana is asked to go turn the power on, <laughs> which is like you should never go anywhere by yourself in a horror movie. Yeah, especially under the house. I know. She actually does a pretty good job of defending herself in this moment, I would say. Yeah, I feel like she's one of the few that gets kind of like a like a scene where she fights back. Like, I feel like a lot of these kills, you don't really get much of a struggle, except for, like, obviously the final girl. But, yeah, no, there is, like, so this movie, like, I feel like the deaths come, like, hard and fast. Like, yeah. they are just, like, one after the next. So there's her under the house there. So they're... They try to call the police. The police aren't going to get to them for, like, over two hours, which, like, fuck that. Like, are you kidding me? Right. <laughs> two hours away. Yeah, because there's a snowstorm. So that's a nightmare. And they're debating, should they go to the car? Should they stay inside and wait? So Heather and Mrs. Mack go to the car. The rest of them don't. And then in the car, I thought one of the best kills was Heather in the car, where you don't know it's coming. And then all of a sudden, the blood's all over the windshield. Just because Miss Mac is gets to see that happen while she's like trying to fix the car. And then Miss Mac goes to run back inside and like doesn't even get murdered by a murderer. An icicle plummets through her head. Like Billy and Agnes are gonna take credit for that, and it's not even it wasn't even them. She lives through the first round of all of the Billy murders and then gets taken out by an icicle, which is crazy. We get Michelle Trachtenberg's character whose name I can't remember, but she gets a skate thrown at her head and yep. it slices through the back of her skull like a ripe cantaloupe. Like, it is just like, I don't care how perfect your throw is, you're not slicing off part of the human head with a skate in, like, one perfect throw. Yeah. It was like a deli meat slicer. Just <laughs> <laughs> someone order a quarter pound of thinly sliced Melissa? Melissa, that's who it is. <laughs> oh my god! And I think they also like the, in bar in the first movie with Barb. She thinks she's having a bad dream, and that what's happening isn't actually happening. And the same thing happens to Lauren. Like she thinks she's just having a weird dream. Um, and then she wakes up and gets her eyeballs ripped out. Yeah, we forgot to mention that during all this, when Claire went missing, her sister shows up. Lee. So her sister Lee shows up, who's played by. She ends up being like the second to last character to go, I guess. Yeah. The the last death before the final girl. Yeah. Sucks to be the runner up, but someone's got to do it. Somebody's got to do it. And she's pretty badass. She is. Actually, I'm randomly watching. So, like, I'm in the part of like my quarantine stages where I'm watching the most random television show. And actually, I've I've come back to this show during quarantine a number of times. I've never, like, watched it full. I just put it on when I want, like, some sort of seedy 90s show. But it's called Silk Stockings, and it's, like, a a cop drama from the 90s. It was, like, a little bit, like, erotic thriller slash, like, cop drama, like, buddy cop drama. And it's, like, really campy 90s. But she's she has, like, a, a guest-starring arc. And, like, I saw her name in the credits like right I think like a few days ago and I was like that is such random timing I was like what are the chances yeah Kristen Cloak so anyway they're headed towards the attic Kyle decides he wants to be brave he climbs the attic ladder 
um, and they think they're all good. And then all of a sudden Kyle gets pulled up by some long haired figure and is suffocated. And then he gets slashed in the head with that unicorn that keeps popping up and murdering people. Used it twice. Must be nice. <laughs> so this is when things get to get like if the whole rest of the movie has not been chaotic, the attic scene is just that pure chaos. Uh, Lee falls through the fucking floor. Yeah, that house is not up to code. Not up to code. And like, also, I love a horror movie like this where everything is already chaotic. And then they add in like other elements of chaos that are just like over the top, like an icicle plummeting through somebody's skull or somebody falling through the floor. Like, um, I think at this point, it's very clear that the long blonde haired character is Agnes. While Lee is falling through the floor, Kelly is getting attacked and suffocated by Billy. Yeah, this casting was weird, too. Like, I feel like they have, like, a 45-year-old man playing a 24-year-old woman. (laughs) It's like, they don't give you any backstory on this character, and now this is, like, this is Agnes at 24 years old. Like, I need some back. I'm sorry, I need some backstory at this point if this is your casting. Can you please give me some backstory? Like, otherwise, this is just, like, she's clearly, she suffers from trauma and abuse from her childhood. So I feel like it's irresponsible casting without any backstory given. Like, I, I read, like, a quote from the actor, who's not an actor, he's a cameraman, And he basically said that Glenn Morgan told him to do the role and like he was hesitant, but like accepted. And then there's like this, it was IMDb trivia. It's like the end part of this quote says, no one else on the production crew seemed to oppose. It's like someone should have opposed. This is horrible casting. Um, One other thing I'd like to know is that like while this movie was happening, I kept thinking, damn, there are so many candles lit throughout this house. Why are there so many candles lit? If you live in like a, you know, centuries old, like sorority house, you definitely should not be lighting candles. No, you shouldn't have one candle lit, much less like 300. Like, I'm not exaggerating. There are so many candles lit in this house and in the attic as well. In the attic. (laughs) Well, that's on Billy and Agnes. They're the ones in the attic. Yeah. One thing I will um, say, I respected the fact that at least in this movie, they like climbed to the attic like pretty quickly. Yeah. In the first movie, it's like no one ever checked the attic. Like the cops, no one is like there's a there's a ladder up to a hatch door. No one's checking it. No, they're just straight up ignoring it. I mean, same. I'd be like, I don't see an attic. I don't know. I'm not going up there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's that's how I feel about basements, too. <laughs> um, and then, so Kelly stabs Agnes in the eye with a skewer and then rips out her fake eyeball. And that's when we realize, like, oh. I mean, we've realized at this point anyway, but, like, that's when it's made abundantly clear that this is Billy's sister-daughter. Yeah, and she has a line where she calls him daddy or father or some... Papa. <laughs> Papa. <laughs> No, I don't. I don't remember. <laughs> I forget what the word she uses is, but she calls. She refers to him as her, her papa. Her papa. Somehow things get real hectic, and everyone falls down the side of the house. Yeah. So there's just like you know people falling down the house. Kelly has to break like the wall to get Lee out. 
Eventually she does. They run out. I love that Lee grabs her coat on the way out of this house. Like, it's going to be cold out. <laughs> I can't forget my coat. And then they end up in the hospital where Lee gets murdered because this was fucked up. What kind of fucking medical examiners are examining these two bodies? <laughs> Neither of them are dead. They both come back to life. Not just one of them, both of them. <laughs> but they're dead because the, the Christmas tree in the attic caught on fire and fell on them. Ah, uh, okay. But, like, exactly. Like, you'd feel a pulse if they were still alive. And also, this hospital, so Kelly's in the in a hospital room where the door doesn't doesn't open if you close it a certain way. I feel like if you're in a hospital room and you are in a room where, like, if there was an emergency, you might not be able to get in. It's not, it's not good. <laughs> well, and the, the attendant's like, this damn door. Yeah, I'm like, what kind of hospital is this? But, yeah, so I think Lee is murdered in the hospital. Yeah, she hears someone at the vents. Yep. Um, and she thinks she finds Kelly in a hospital bed, but it's actually Agnes. And Agnes just straight up breaks her neck. Ugh. And uh, she does that easily because she's a 45-year-old man. <laughs> she's a 45-year-old gamer man. <laughs> and then Kelly confronts Billy, or Billy confronts Kelly, and and Kelly ends up throwing him or like pushing him down a shaft, and he ends up being impaled by the top of a Christmas tree. Mm-hmm. Like again, like these bodies are not made of jello. Like that, that shit would not work. But okay, it's festive. Yeah, I will say Kelly did a pretty good job here in general. Like she took one of the the electric shock machines mm-hmm. to bring back to life, and she fries Agnes's face with it. Yeah, no, she's a. I really liked her as a final girl. Yeah. I thought Kelly, I think, I mean, I, I like Katie Cassidy a lot. Um, and I think she did a good job as the final girl. I actually think it's, I don't know what Mary Elizabeth Winstead was doing in 2006, but I feel like she's like the more respected actress. So I was kind of surprised they didn't make her the final girl. But I do appreciate Katie Cassidy. I feel like she's campier and like, I liked, I liked her as the final girl. Mm-hmm. I agree. And that is a very chaotic explanation of <laughs> Black Christmas 2006. <laughs> the end. So the house bunny. For the past nine years, Shelly has ruled the mansion. Hi, Ed. Hi, girls. Hi, Shelly. Looking good. But today, she's about to get a wake-up call. They're kicking me out. Maybe it's because of your age. But I'm 27. But that's 59 in bunny years. I don't have anything. I don't know what to do. You need a yap. A yap? Yap. This summer... It looks like a bunch of little Playboy mansions. She's looking for a place to call home. Do you ladies go to school here, too? We're the house mothers of the sororities. This would be perfect for me. This is not a brothel. Oh, I'm not looking to make soup. Try Zeta. Their last house mother was hospitalized with hallucinations. Awesome. Now... Hello? Sometimes when you need help... How can we be so smart, but everyone kind of thinks we're losers? Reading, earthling... <laughs> the person you least expect... My name is Shelly, and I'm here to be your house mother. ...will be exactly what you need. We have to be popular. Guys like her. And since guys don't like us, I figured Shelly here could teach us how. I am just so happy that you guys want me here. This is Harmony. Harmony. 
And then Joanne. Joanne. What is that? It's just this thing I do to remember people's names. Natalie. You hired the exorcist, that's great. From Happy Madison, who brought you 50 first dates. Shelly, that's Colby. I'm in love with him. That's so sweet, how long have you guys been going out? I've never even talked to him. By the time I'm done, every girl on campus will want to pledge Zeta. He's changing their style. That's it, lady. Now we can be the best versions of ourselves. You're pretty pleased with yourself, aren't you? I am a little proud. Don't mess with me. And they're giving her the education of a lifetime. So I met this boy named Oliver. He didn't fall for any of my tricks. I think I dropped some money over here. Maybe it's over here by this manhole. Ah! That is freaking hot! Anna Ferris is the house bunny. What if Oliver doesn't mind a smart girl? Do you give any thought to who you might be voting for? won't listen to what Simon says. He is just so mean. I usually always agree with Paula and Randy. Oh, you meant the president. The House Bunny is a 2008 rom-com starring Anna Faris as a 27-year-old playboy bunny who's tricked into leaving the mansion and decides the next best thing is a sorority house. She meets Emma Stone and a band of misfit sorority girls and helps them save their sorority house while also finding love with Tom Hanks' son. Um, <laughs> I really like that this movie was written by two women, Karen McCullough and Kristen Smith. They also wrote Legally Blonde and my fave, 10 Things I Hate About You. Um, it was directed by Fred Wolf, whose claim to fame, or like some of his claim to fames, is he wrote Joe Dirt's One and Two. <laughs> and he directed um, a lot of these other kind of like Adam Sandler-ish movies or wrote a lot of these Adam Sandler movies because this movie was um, produced by Adam Sandler's production company. Um, yeah, like I feel like Adam Sandler just has a bunch of friends on his payroll and he just calls them up when he needs a guy. Like, I got the Santa Ferris movie. You want to direct? <laughs> Peak Anna Ferris. Peak Anna Ferris for sure. This was Anna Ferris at like the height of her shtick. Like this was like prime Anna Ferris shtick. This movie opens 27 years ago or ago in 2008. And we see that Shelley Darlingson, who's Ferris's character, was left at an orphanage and no one adopted her until she got pretty and found her family at the Playboy Mansion. <laughs> I feel like that's, like, the, like, low-key how, like, she describes it. She's like, yeah, I was an ugly duckling, and then one day I wasn't, and now I'm a Playboy bunny. <laughs> this is my story. <laughs> They're her family now. <laughs> I feel like we forgot, to, we forgot to, like, highlight how much they say that in Black Christmas. It is just like nonstop. Like you're my family now. Yeah, they're my family now. It is That's so what... intense. So yeah, so we meet Shelly at the Playboy Mansion now. She's turning 27. They're using Pussycat Dolls "When I Grow Up" in the soundtrack. Growing up, I thought this was, I want to have boobies, not I want to have groupies. <laughs> I thought it was movies. 
this shows like the age, like you were younger than me. I'm thinking it's boobies. You're thinking it's movies. But this, I feel like this is like peak early aughts or mid aughts, low rise, everything, pussycat dolls, playboy mansion, girls next door, hefts there, Bridget. I was trying to see if I could remember all their names. Bridget, Holly, and Kendra. Bridget, Holly, and Kendra. Points for me. Um, and we're on a birthday party. We got a uh, bunny hop happening. But when she wakes up in the morning, she has a letter from Half saying she's too old to be a Playboy bunny at 27, so she needs to leave. That's so sad. Apparently this whole movie was based on the concept that they wondered what happened to Playboy bunnies once they left the mansion. Wow. And But, like, I guess, like, I was, like, a girls-next-door connoisseur at this point. So I was like, this is bullshit. I have it on good authority that Bridget is, like, 35 years old. <laughs> <laughs> They're not kicking her out at 27. But then we wouldn't have a movie. Um, but I feel like Bridget really ruined the plot of this movie because she kind of like, well, I guess only if you followed the girls next door. My favorite character is the cat Pooter. <laughs> I will say, and in, in the original Black Christmas 1974 film, there is a very cute tabby cat as well. So Yeah, and I think it makes it. I think it makes it through the film. I don't think it gets murdered, does it? No, no, no. I, <laughs> I thought you meant it, you thought it made the film. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. So, yeah, so she wakes up, she gets this letter. Meanwhile, her, like, I don't know, her butler, whoever this guy is, Marvin, brought her, like, her breakfast. And here's one of the parts where, like, it ages really badly because there's this line that's like, I put something in your drink. And she's like, thanks for telling me. Usually I don't find out until much later. And I'm like, ooh. Oh, yeah, that does not. Nope. Um, but in 2008, that was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so she leaves. She's sleeping in her car. Another joke that right off, right away, we get another joke that doesn't age well, where a cop pulls her over or like she's sleeping in her car, so knocks on the window, tells her he needs to give her a breathalyzer, or says he doesn't tell her that. He says, "I'm gonna have to ask you to blow on this," and she goes, "Okay, I guess," and starts to like bend down. And I'm like, "Oh." I know. I had the same thought, and I'm actually surprised that. That ended up her ended up with her in prison. <laughs> um, but she's arrested, and when she gets out, she follows a group of college girls back to campus because she hears them talking about like college stuff, and it reminds her of the Playboy Mansion. She finds a sorority, so she finds a sorority, and decides that she wants to be a house mother. Yeah, she like straight up stumbles into a sorority house. This looks like the Playboy Mansion. <laughs> Yeah, but that that sorority isn't hiring. The only sorority that is hiring is Zeta Alpha Zeta, which is like the misfit sorority with the girls who aren't stereotypically attractive. Or if they are, they so this is like a problem. Or if they are physically attractive or stereotypically attractive, they have another physical condition like agoraphobia or back brace or a pregnant that prevents them from being like a viable mate or whatever. Or in the case of Emma Stone, she's just awkward, which is like, let's be honest, it works for Emma Stone, so it's fine. Right. Like, luckily, she's incredibly hilarious and gorgeous. But they're about to lose their charter. They don't have enough pledges. 
Um, so Anna Faris signs on as their house mother and says she is going to help them. Yes, because they need sex appeal. And the boys on the campus see Anna Faris and they're like creepily like jaw to the ground, like leering at her. And all like the sorority girls like, why are they acting like that? And Anna Faris is like, boys just being boys, which is another thing that I'm like, why? Why do we have to do that? But I think the whole concept of this movie, while it is like filmed by women, I think it, you know, and it plays on stereotypes that is definitely problematic um, through and through. Yeah, like I feel like it has a it has a feminist message, but like I'm on the fence about whether it achieves it. Like I feel like there is like a sisterhood helping each other message that I love, but like I'm not sure it like actually achieves it. So Shelly's walking around naked, the girl's like, What are you doing? She suggests having a sexy car wash. Yes. And when she's walking around naked, she's actually walking around naked. Like Anna Ferris was actually butt naked in this scene. <laughs> No way. Mm -hmm. Um, So during all this, Shelly meets Colin Hanks' character, Oliver. He works at a nursing home because he's a good guy. He's so cute. I was a big fan of the original Roswell, which was his first show in like the late 90s. And he was super cute. He was like such a nerdy little character on it. And I loved him. Great binge, if anyone needs a binge. Roswell from 1999-ish. Yeah, isn't he also in Orange County? I love that movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. With Jack Black. Definitely. So, I will also say a joke I loved, because I feel like I've said a lot of jokes I don't love. So they go to a bar. Um, Anna Faris' Shelley takes them to a bar, and one of the characters... Mona, who is Kat Dennings, and who she's like, she's got a lot of facial piercings. She's kind of like the, she's supposed to be like a feminist, and she has a lot of facial piercings. And some douchebag calls her metal face and asks her if it's a Hannibal Lecter thing. And she's like, yeah. And then she bites him. <laughs> and I love that. <laughs> There's also a mean girl sorority, obviously, by Iota Moo. And they are planning to take their girl's house. When they don't get enough pledges. Yeah, because they have so many pledges that they just need the extra space. Yeah, they need to expand. But Shelly's going to help them save it, and she has a plan, and it is to make the girls the hottest girls on campus. Which is like, I mean, there are other plans, but that's her plan. (laughs) That's what she knows how to do best. That's true. That's her skill. That's what she considers her skill set. Um, <laughs> so she gives them all makeovers, and basically it just, like, Shellyifies them. And then they go to Oliver's nursing home to hang out with all the old people. <laughs> and they have their little, uh, their dance lesson. All the men's heart rates are going off the charts. Shelly plugs in her flip phone. Like, was that a thing? Like, I feel like... Could you plug in a flip phone and get music? I feel like all I could get was, like, maybe, like, a melodic ringtone or, like, a clip of a song. 2008 was that weird time where, like, technology was about to take off. (laughs) But, like, (laughs) maybe it was, like, really an MP3 player. Yeah, I feel like they they took a little creative license. I feel like they looked into the future and they were like, I feel like we're going to be able to do this soon, so let's just uh, do it. (laughs) Shelly's ahead of her time. 100%. 
Um, we then find out Cassandra, another Playboy bunny, was scheming to get rid of Shelly all along. It wasn't Hef that wanted her to leave, and now Hef is shown, like, being all sad and doesn't want to hang out with the other girls. Yeah, he's, like, eating ice cream in bed and doesn't want to have fun time. No. Um, Shelly finds out Natalie's a virgin, so she decides they're going to throw an Aztec party where they can sacrifice her for being a virgin, which means, like, throwing her into a pit of red jello wearing, like, a bikini. Um, she also, so they're prepping for the party. They, she gets Joanne to stop wearing her back brace, which is nice. She doesn't need it anymore. She's not like making her stop wear it when she needs it. <laughs> she's like, take that shit off. No, she, uh, she's like, when, when were you able to take that off? And she's like, two years ago. And then her crush runs by and like in a very Forrest Gump scene, she runs off her brace. I loved it. Um, and then, so we go to the Aztec party and another scene. So I feel like my favorite character in this is Mona, Kat Dennings' character, because she's doing research. She's, like, interviewing boys, and she's like, would you stand there and let me go like this? And she, like, does, like, a, like, annoying laugh for five minutes just in the hope that we might hook up. And he's like, yes. Yes, I would. <laughs> he's like, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. But she, like, also loves it. Yeah, oh, definitely, definitely. And in the end, I feel like she definitely, like, stays conformed to, like, the Shelly look more than, like, I would have liked her character to, because I feel like if the big message is, like, everyone should be themselves, like, she definitely changes her physical appearance, like, completely. She takes out all of her piercings and, like, gets extensions and highlights. Yeah, and so, like, in the end, she does go back to being brunette, but her hair's still long, and she has no facial piercings anymore, which, like, I'm like, really? Those are not going back in if you decide later. Yeah. Okay, so now Shelly has a date with Oliver. She does the whole Marilyn Monroe. This was in the trailer where she does the Marilyn Monroe manhole cover. Yep, and does not go well for her. No, apparently it's hot. Damn, man. I'll get you every time. Like, based on how her knees looked after that whole situation, I cannot imagine what else everything, like, what everything else looked like. Yeah, no. Like, she needed to go to the hospital. No. You could make some good uh, human gingerbread cookies. (laughs) Billy, where you at? (laughs) But, so, her date doesn't go well because she does all her, like, tricks and, you know... Oliver is a nice guy who just wants a real girl who's going to be genuine and whatever. Um, And so now the students become the teachers. Mm -hmm. And we get a montage of the sorority girls teaching Shelly how to be smart. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she's like reading books and like wearing a cardigan and yeah, being nerdy. She's wearing like a sexy librarian Halloween costume. (laughs) (laughs) She really is, yeah. I, mean, I think, and that's probably how she feels too. So she goes on a second date, and all, and now it's still not working because she's not being herself. A nuclear non-proliferation treaty should ease tension in Asia. Well, that's that's my thought. Are you okay? So the Zeta girls are now at home, and like checking out their new pledge candidates because now they have a lot of candidates, and they're now being picky and being like, "Oh, this one doesn't have a beach house." 
This one likes reading. Yeah, they're just now they're being like the catty girls they didn't want to be. And Lily speaks up and is like finally speaking. And they're like, you're British. We didn't know that, which was... (laughs) You're British. (laughs) Um, But they all blame Shelly for changing them because, you know, let's blame other people. She originally turned down being Miss November, but now she's going to take it. Yes, one of those movie magic moments where she gets the call from Hugh Hefner right before she walks in the door. Um, she's like, no, I found my family. This is my family now. <laughs> They're my family now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so other stuff happens. Lily gets tricked into losing all their pledge envelopes, so none of their pledges got like submitted. Um, Shelly decides she doesn't want to be Miss November. She wants to be with the girls. Coincidentally, Natalie shows up at the exact same time. And they go to the big, like, Greek council meeting to save the sorority. And Shelly gives, like, very, like, inspirational, like, speech of some kind at the end. Yes. But she says, like, you need your friends and family by your side. Blah, blah, blah. Be who you are. We're a family. We're a family now. (laughs) (laughs) And eventually, so they get a lot of volunteers. Harmony has her baby. Oliver and Shelly fall in love. And we get our happy ending. Because we're a family. (laughs) So what do these movies have in common? Well, there's a lot of women with names and sororities. There is a lot. So both movies take place in a sorority, which is why we kind of, that was like our initial thing that, you know, matched up for us. Um, and it, the names of the sororities in Black Christmas, it's Delta Alpha Kappa. And in uh, House Bunny, it is Zeta Alpha Zeta. They both have alpha in the middle, which is like a little similarity but i actually i'm not very familiar with the greek system so maybe that's super common <laughs> i i have no idea either i was not in a sorority unfortunately or for, i don't know if it's unfortunate but yeah me neither i i was never in a sorority i feel like i wasn't i wasn't a joiner um if you had to pledge a sorority from one of these movies mm-hmm. which would you join i mean de- definitely zeta because i want to die <laughs> What if what if death was off the table? What if like Billy never came back and it was just like picking who you'd want to hang out with? Um, probably still Zeta, honestly. I yeah. feel like better better ragers, and you know I love to party. That's true. I see. I think I would like get along well with some of the Delta Alpha Kappas. Like I feel like I think they'd be more my scene to hang out with. Totally. But if murder was on the table, then I don't, I would, I would change my, I would change my pick. (laughs) Are you sure? (laughs) I like my eyeballs in my face. Thank you. (laughs) Um, One thing I will say that I don't know why this, this really stuck out to me in House Bunny. She says, the eyes are the nipples of the face. And I was like, that's hilarious because Billy is all about ripping out eyeballs. And then I imagined Billy ripping off nipples instead. <laughs> so. Oh my God, I wrote that down too. I was like, eyes. I just imagined Agnes and Billy saying like, the eyes are the nipples of the face. And then just ripping them out and eating them. 
it's like low <laughs> dark it's intense but yes it takes on a whole that quote takes on a whole new meaning when read through black christmas yes 100 percent. another commonality here um the idea of not being wanted or you know growing up in an orphanage yeah so both both characters, Shelley and Agnes in Black Christmas, grow up in an orphanage and they're never adopted. And they don't begin looking for a family until they become adults, which is very sad for both of them. But one of them makes lemonade and one of them makes human flesh cookies. <laughs> I don't know. Um, one thing that's so like Shelley, you know, Shelly's story she has no past like the orphan trope is one where like you know they kind of you start with a character who has no past so you just start like fresh she was left in a basket in front of a house so like she's a clean slate whereas Agnes's character has like the most traumatic past like her family situation was like fucked up yes so it's interesting because Obviously, Shelley is the protagonist and Agnes is the antagonist. And when you say not being wanted, I think, like I mentioned this earlier, but like Shelley alludes to being like an ugly duckling, no one wanting her until she became attractive, which like she like alludes to that being why she wasn't adopted. And like also Agnes is like very disfigured. She's missing an eye. Um, she was attacked, obviously. She's played by a 45-year-old man no explanation could that have been why she wasn't adopted so i feel like there's this like beauty standard that they're putting that they're falsely putting on like is this why people i mean i don't know i don't know what the the adoption system is but like i assume people aren't beauty contesting their picks (laughs) agnes is like 24 when she like escapes the orphanage can you stay in an orphanage until you're in your like mid-20s i think i i don't know but i would imagine like 18 is it you know (laughs) it would be like shelly she gets a letter she's like you now have to leave (laughs) but i mean i guess like you know kids live with their parents until well into their 30s so it's really hard to say that's true kids Thirty is the new seventeen, bro. It's true. It's true. <laughs> I feel that. <laughs> you will learn that soon. <laughs> Very soon. I feel like we've like touched on this, but like there is multiple parts in both scripts that refer to like choosing your family or like finding your family, which I think goes hand in hand with the neither of these characters grew up with a family. So they're they're both on this, both Shelley and Agnes are on this journey to find a family, which should be nice, but Agnes is taking it to a whole new level. Yes, 100%. Um, but it is, you know, this, yeah, the concept you get to choose your family and, or I guess in Agnes's case, she didn't really get to choose. Yeah, neither, <laughs> neither will the people that she kills and rips their eyes out. They're her family now. True. Uh, and I know we touched on this as well, but I would love to point out that there were a lot of cute house cats in these films. So, but I guess that was really the 1974 version of Black Christmas, so maybe not relevant. Just shout out to cats. Shout out to cats. Why, why 2006 version? Did you cut the cat from the reboot? Right. Would have been better. Would have been cuter. Would have been more interesting. 
more cat. I hope there were more cats in 2019's version. Yeah, we'll report back. Both movies feature like groups of women characters that are definitely stereotyped and kind of put into boxes. Like I feel like, you know, like we mentioned with the House Bunny cast, each of them had like a, a quality that made them a misfit, whether it's like physical appearance or back brace or pregnancy or whatever. They, there was clear, they, they couldn't be multifaceted. They had like one defining quality. And I think that's also kind of similar to the way women in slasher films and definitely like Black Christmas are kind of, there was like the religious girl, the, dr- the drunk girl, the kind of like bitchy, snarky girl. Yeah. The, yeah. Like the nice girl was the final girl. And it's, you know, I feel like it's very stereotypical. Yeah, it 100% is. And I think something we find in a lot of these films is that there is a lack of diversity in terms of like actual representation. Um, despite, you know, outside of stereotypes of like the Southern girl or, you know, the, like the girl who's supposed to be mute. I feel like it's important to note that like the one black character in the house bunny in the main core group of girls is the character that never speaks and spends half the movie off screen. I feel like that was a huge misstep. And I mean, come on, the actress was a cheetah girl. Like we need her doing more. Yeah, seriously. And I mean, I will say she ends up being probably one of the most like pivotal characters in, in getting everybody back on track. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. So she gets to do stuff in the latter half of the movie, but like in the first half of the movie, she's hiding in the closet for like most of the most of the scenes or whispering to Natalie, who then tells the group what she said. Yeah. Uh, what else? How about, you know, I think an interesting thing to talk about with Black Christmas and The House Bunny, and I think we touched upon it a little, is like, are these movies feminist? Are they, you know, do they have feminist qualities? And like we talked about The House Bunny, I think we, it wants to be. I think it's trying to be but I don't know if it succeeds or maybe it succeeded by 2008 standards. I'm not sure it succeeds in 2020. I think it's, there are definitely problems throughout, but I will say, I think at that moment where like um, Lily's character does say like, come on guys, like what, or come on ladies, what are we doing? I think it's, you know, I think you almost have to have that identifying anti-feminist qualities to realize that, like, really what feminism means is that you can be whoever you want to be, and that should be enough. And I think they get back to that place, but it is definitely, like, teetering on the the idea that sex appeal and pleasing men and bending over backwards to be somebody that you don't want to be is what's successful. But I think they turn that around at the end of the movie. Yeah, I definitely I, I definitely think so, too. My only concern and maybe, you know, I don't think it's the script's fault because I think as the script is written, it does exactly what you're saying. I think the problem comes in with maybe like, I don't know, maybe it's the costume department or the director or someone who said, you know, at the end when they're changing back and they realize being yourself is the important thing, I don't think they change them back enough. Like, I feel like they're still, you know, sure, Emma Stone's hair is shorter and 
Kat Dennings isn't a blonde anymore, but like they're still wearing the makeup. They're still wearing the clothes. Um, so I feel like I think it's kind of like, you know, do as I say, not as I do type of messaging. Yeah. But I will read. So I read a cool article with one of the writers who did like an interview after the 10th year anniversary. So 2018. And she says, this is um, Smith. Her, I only copied and pasted her last name, but it's the writer the, whose last name is Smith. <laughs> we just felt like this woman has been so largely defined by one man's appreciation of her, but that she finds her true self through this group of young women just felt like such a feminist message and the kind of story I want to see. You don't want to be validated through this kind of male gaze, but topple it with sisterhood, which I think is nice. Yeah, that was nice. I do think Black Christmas is feminist. I think what I think is cool too, and like, it's hard because I do think the casting of Agnes is like not okay. <laughs> but Black Christmas only has two male characters in the movie, Kyle and Billy. And like, no, like, they gender swapped Claire's dad for her sister. So the character that was a dad in 1974 is now a sister and the cops never show up. So literally there's only the women, Kyle and Billy are the only like, and then maybe some doctors at the hospital at the end. If I don't really remember. They're actually, I think that they're all female or I think you just see a nurse. Well, yeah. Um, I do think that is true. I think we still fall into like just this typical sexualization that we were talking about of women um, in that, like, you know, the peepholes and the, like, you know, constantly under the eye of the potential male gaze. Definitely. I think one thing that throws a wrench into it a tiny bit is that we don't know which killer is which. So some of those gazes may or may not be Agnes. But again, Agnes is played by a 45-year-old man. So I don't know. But I do, you, you have that uncertainty of, like, whose gaze is it? Yeah. Which is interesting. But I think the most feminist of all of them is Black Christmas 1974. Interesting. Why? Um, I feel like, so first of all, it's like made in 1974. And it has, I feel like the, the women characters are like very richly drawn. Like they're not, like, I feel like you know more about them even than the 2006 version of the characters, you know, like their family situations you learn a lot of insider information from their Christmas plans, like who has family, who doesn't. But also I feel like the final girl's kind of journey through getting pregnant and choosing to have an abortion and standing by her decision, even though her boyfriend is like, no, don't kill the baby, which fuck you, Peter. And she stands up for herself and says basically that I summarized. <laughs> fuck you. Um, and I, I so respect that, that in 74, there was a movie that said, no, I, I have autonomy over my body and I choose what's going to happen. And in the end, she's the survivor and he's dead. <laughs> she kills him. Alert. That was, it was a, it was a really strong subplot in a slasher movie. Yeah, I agree. I really liked that part of it too. And I was like, man, this feels, uh, like forward thinking for the time but the 70s were a shake it up time yeah so and I just I love Barb I thought Barb was a amazing character just like such a like fun character I would love to see a slasher movie with a character like Barb being the final girl 
Yeah, that would be amazing. I think Barb deserved to be a final girl. I mean, she really slept through most of the drama and should have just like woken up. It would have been so funny if she woke up and like didn't know anything had happened. Oh my god! Just because she's been totally knocked out. But I will. I think you're right. Like she, that like you were saying on the phone in that movie, they're saying things that like we can't even repeat because they were so atrocious. And Barb's like, whatever, like f you, basically. Yeah, yeah, she's so strong. I mean, she does have like, she's slightly reminiscent. We just talked about Scream, and I feel like she's like got a little Gale in her. Like she's she definitely a little... has a little Gale in her. Yeah. Or maybe Gale has a little Barb in her. <laughs> That's even better. Yes. <laughs> so, so every episode, we're breaking down the lessons we can all learn from watching these two movies together. And I feel like this week we learned some pretty interesting stuff. Um, what did we learn today? <laughs> Sororities are very dramatic. Heads will roll. Maybe literally. <laughs> Getting 30 pledges is hard, but keeping them all alive until New Year's is harder. <laughs> Townies are a gamble. Sometimes it's Colin Hank. Sometimes it's a creepy 30-year-old man filming secret sex tapes. The toss-up. <laughs> they either get along real well with old people or real young people. There's no in between. <laughs> and the main lesson here, you can choose your own family. But choose it wisely. <laughs> Brooke, you're my family now. <laughs> Does that mean I have to die? <laughs> you need my eyeballs. No, but I will need your eyeballs. <laughs> um, which... Which movie do you think teaches Allison better? I mean, I'm going to have to go with Black Christmas just because I actually, sometimes your family does murder you, but I, yeah, I think that choosing your family wisely is all you can really do in this life, whether they're biological or, or not. I think Black Christmas teaches Allison better because it, the consequences are more dire. <laughs> like you might lose your charter, but like whatever, you're 19, you'll grow up, you'll grow up and not give a fuck. But like, if you're murdered, you don't get to do that. So like, I feel like <laughs> I don't know. Hold on, you can choose your own family. <laughs> so which which of the movies did you enjoy watching more? So I have to say, I'm gonna have like I know we only did the black. Um, Christmas, I almost just said Black Mirror, Black Christmas 1974 as prep for like making sure we knew uh, what was going on, but I actually loved that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I completely agree. That's my answer too. I am so mad at myself for not watching it earlier, but like also it was cool to watch them together. I liked seeing how they kind of like took from it and like created the 2006 version, but yeah, I think the 1974 version, super strong. It might be one of my favorite slashers. Um, I think I've added it to my favorite slashers list that I have in my head. <laughs> I completely 100% agree. I was surprised and will watch it every Christmas now forever. <laughs> it's like, what's your favorite Christmas movie, Brooke? Black Christmas. <laughs> but like, that's so on par. I, I really do feel that. Oh, no, I totally agree. It's like, you know, I feel like it's right up there. Maybe it's not less, but it's right up there with Home Alone in terms of, like, psychological warfare. Yeah, just with, like, a way worse. Yeah, not things that you can repeat. It's basically an NC-17 Home Alone. 
There you go. <laughs> Hot take. <laughs> so that's all we have today. If you like this episode, please rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. For more Happily Ever Slasher, you can find us at happilyeverslasher.com or on Instagram at happilyeverslasher. And until next time, I'm Amanda. And I'm Brooke. And remember, all's fair in love and gore. Anything else but then to notice me Ha ha ha